Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zielinski. Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end-time watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this October 27th, 2015 edition I broadcast Monday to Fridays, that's weekdays, at 6 p.m. Eastern, and on Saturday evening at 11 p.m. Eastern on Worldwide Christian Radio and WINB. That information is on the Radio Archives tab on the menu at WeekendVigilante.com. I am so glad you tuned into the program today, folks. I just want to remind everyone that this broadcast is 100% listener funded. It is uncensored, unbiased, and it is only possible through the support of our listeners. So I do ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a partner with this ministry. It is one of the few ministries that will not compromise on truth. So I do hope that you prayerfully consider doing what you can to support this ministry. I believe we're making a huge difference out there in this dark world, and I thank you for your continued support in this endeavor. I want to remind people to get out to Live Oak, Florida. If you have not made plans to be in Florida, please do prayerfully consider going to this incredible event. I think it's going to be a game changer. Augusto Perez and the Appearance Ministries in Live Oak, Florida, November 13th, 14th, 15th. The information is on my website. If you go to the right-hand side down towards the bottom, you will see the poster. I believe with all my heart that God is going to absolutely do some incredible things at this event, and I couldn't encourage you more to get out to this. My guest today, you all know, he's a renowned Dr. Michael Lake. He is the Chancellor and founder of Biblical Life College and Seminary, which really is the premier online spirit-filled theology seminary. He is the author of the incredible book, The Shinar Directive, that, of course, Dr. Tom Horn published. Amazing book. Dr. Lake was on the program talking about that. He's been a guest several times. Great shows. Dr. Lake's websites are kingdomintelligencebriefing.com and Biblical dash life.com that's biblical hyphen life.com dr lake it is always a pleasure to have you on the program welcome back to the show sir it's a pleasure to be back on this morning well in the shinar directive you take us down an incredible you could call it the luciferian rabbit hole to discover the matrix of darkness that really has engulfed our planet and how esoteric societies have labored really for millennia to alter our perception of reality. But not only that, but you allege that they bring us really into this pseudo-captivity. I love your words here, a techno-sorcery-induced spiritual coma, if that isn't a mouthful. But that really does define where we're at today, doesn't it? 
it does, you know, and and, and since publishing that book, I, I'm I, I've been receiving just tons of email, and all of them are saying, you know, I woke up and discovered that I was in the matrix. Uh-huh. You need to understand that's really true, and when you when you see how media, especially mass media, they basically control the consciousness and the direction of of our nation. Yes, uh, it's unbelievable. I know when I visit, you know, up in Canada and, and other nations, one of their biggest gripes is that the news media from America does not have a clue <laughs> really what's going on around the world. No, they no, so no. distort and so choose and pick what they want to cover that it's, you know, we're, we're living in, in a media la-la land here in the United States. Media la-la land. Wow, that is well articulated. It's really frightening the amount of people that are in this spiritual slumber as well. They really are walking around in this dystopic trance and sadly, that includes 90% of Christians, doesn't it? They are. And uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I expect the world to be. But what has concerned me is is how many Christians have drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And and they are so spiritually asleep. And what I have found is more of the remnant are outside the church than they are inside. Yes, I totally agree with that statement. And I think that's why the book you're working on now is so imperative as it really lays out the important puzzle pieces of this end game, really, of Nimrod's Dark Directive. And what I love about what your new book is going to do, I mean, your book's not out yet, it will be out. But what I love about this new book is it's like you present God's A-team on steroids here. It's really a true antidote to combat what you lay out in the Shinar Directive. You lay out in the ancient plains of Shinar this plague of the Council of Darkness. We have a lot of new listeners. For people that have never heard, what is this Council of Darkness that was established? Lay that out for people, Dr. Lake. In in my new book, and I'm also kind of teaching it with the, the video series that we have on YouTube called Understanding the Kingdom, uh, it's allowing me the luxury of thinking out loud about a lot of the research that I'm doing. Uh, one of the things that I, that I postulate in, in this next book, which I, I don't think I've ever heard any other theologian or, or minister ever share, is, you know, we all, we're always taught when, when Lucifer fell, one-third of the angels fell with him. But we get that from the very last book of the Bible. It's not in the, uh, the Ezekiel or the Isaiah scriptures that deal with the fall of Lucifer. In fact, you know, I had missed this for years, but once you see it, it kind of screams out in the text. He fell alone. There, there were no other angels with him. He, It says he fell alone. So when you look at uh, the Nekesh, the, the serpent in Genesis 3, that's one that fell. And although many try to say that was Lucifer or simply a serpent that Lucifer entered into, when you really study out the Hebrew, that was a seraph, and which is a flaming, shining one. It's almost like a dragon. And so, you know, it's promising the same thing. It, it's, it, it falls on Lucifer's side. You have in Genesis 6, you have these 200 watchers that come and conspire. And I believe that when they came down on Mount Hermon, according to the book of Enoch, and made covenant with each other that this is what we're going to do. At that moment, they fell. Uh, we discover in, in Daniel that there are good watchers because Nebuchadnezzar was judged because of the good watchers. You see at the Tower of Babel that the nations were, that uh, God divided the nations or the people into 70 nations and gave control to them over the fallen angels that, uh, that had basically governed over them. 
and that's where we get principalities and powers. So there's this trifecta uh, in the in the spirit realm that form the council or the the council of hell or the gates of hell. And I think it's very interesting that when Jesus used the term gates of hell, he was standing in front of Mount Hermon. That's ground zero where the watchers came down to to make their plan to corrupt humanity and, and to produce their own offspring. Well, it's kind of interesting. It sort of is like there is four species of giants. Of course, the Nephilim, that Hebrew word there, Nephal, means to fall. The progeny of the fallen angels. So they had to be destroyed in the flood. But for years and years, people have debated this, Dr. Lake. As Genesis highlights, there were giants before the flood and after the flood. Now, of course, some people believe that there's eight that boarded the ark. They were the only ones the Bible says were pure enough so they could be saved and perhaps go on to create the redemptive genetic lineage to Jesus. So the Anakim, the Amamine, the Zumamine, the Zamzamine, you've got sort of different bloodthirsty, evil, horrid giants, and then you have these sort of frightfully ugly, tall, long-necked giants. I mean, there really is a, a real mishmash here, isn't there? There is, you know, and one of the things that when you look at the apocryphal books and people say, you know, why, why do you go, you know, the, the apocryphal books like the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jasher, the Book of Jubilees, tends to fill in the blanks. I don't consider them in, the inspired Word of God, but what's interesting is you have Jesus making reference to it, you have Paul making reference to it, uh, referring to the book of, of Enoch, and you, you have Jude basically clip and paste a good portion <laughs> of his book directly from it. Yes. And so I began to research a little bit, and I found that in the day of in the times of Jesus that the canonization of Old Testament Scripture had not been finalized yet. That didn't happen, depending upon the experts that you listen to, either happened at the latter part of the first century A.D., are the are the first half of the second century AD, and so the 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 Torah, uh, the 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 books of Moses and the uh, Navaim, the he, the 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 prophets were were pretty well solid, but the writings were in flux, and so the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jasher, the Book of Jubilees, would have fallen within the parameters of the writings, and were actually a part of in, in what in Jesus' day they would have considered a part of canon. Even the Greek literature, I mean, when you look at Plato's writings and you refer to all these mythological characters, a lot of that stuff is interwoven into this too, isn't it? And then you get into, of course, Bashan near Mount Hermon. As everyone knows, Mount Hermon is known as the Mount of the Oath. The fallen angels took the oath there. They not only lusted after women and created hybrids, but they wanted to derail God's redemptive plan really there, didn't they? They did, and they wanted to create uh, their own offspring. And, you know, what's interesting when you, you bring in, a, I can't remember if it's the book of Jasher or the book of Jubilee, says that the Watchers also taught them how to blend species. Right. And so, you know, the, the very first, the, 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 uh, the Nephilim, the very first uh, ones that were basically bred, you know, the old-fashioned way, uh, I, I think they are what the Greeks called the Titans, that they're you know 480 feet tall. The 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 planet itself was about to, uh, they they were about to extinguish mankind on the planet. And so the Book of Enoch tells us God calls them to war among themselves. That's the clash of the titans, within within Greek folklore. After that, uh, I think many of the Watchers were bound. Uh, whether it was all of them or some of them is is up to academic debate, but they were able to uh, genetically modify 
and, and blend different species together. That's how we get many of the different giants after that original batch. And so they, they were substantially shorter than 480 feet. Uh, I know that after we get into uh, after the flood, that uh, Joshua and, and and some others report, you know, maybe 180 feet. And by the time you get down to, uh, you know, David and Goliath, Goliath's a midget. He's only about nine feet tall compared <laughs> to the original ones, as well as, you you know, you find ones that had attributes of a lion. So there was this blending. Uh, I think that when God uh, broke the canopy over the earth and caused the flood, he also changed the physiology of man so that, um, you know, man could quit living for a thousand years. He went down to 120. But at the same time, he he made this genetic modification harder and harder to do, so it degrades after the flood. That's very interesting. So with all those people out there that always ask, okay, how were there then giants after the flood? What is your response to that, Dr. Lake? Well, I, I think it may be one of several things. You know, there, there are, like I said, maybe not all the watchers uh, were bound uh, there, there may have also been them, you know, continuing to experiment to to blend DNA. Uh, the one thing that I know that uh, Nimrod did that no one else was able to do, I, I think the uh, the the blending of the DNA was most likely done in vitro. Uh, but see, Nimrod, why why he's so unique and he is the poster child for you know Freemasonry and all the esoteric societies, is he started out human, and he corrupted himself to become a giant. I mean, he's he's the transhumanist dream. Right. Well, he became something else, didn't he? He did. Uh, and there's also evidence when you read the Septuagint, not only did he become a giant, but he hunted giants. And I, I don't think he hunted them to kill them. I think he hunted them to bring him on his side, because when you look at the size of what Babylon was uh, under his tenure, it was almost 200 square miles with a with a wall 400 and I think it's either 450 or 480 feet. It was just shy of the height of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Wow. That was so wide that they could, they had chariot races on it. You know, he had to have, I, th- I think it was 12 palaces across the width of, of, of Babylon because it was, you know, they're either on foot or, or riding on horses. And so he, he wanted to be within a short journey of one of, one of his palaces. That's unfathomable to build. Unless you also have giants helping you build it. One of the interesting things is when I look back on these cultures, whether it's the Aztecs, the Incas, even the Mayans, they, Dr. Lake, had in their possession knowledge they could not possibly have attained on their own, such as, I mean, we're talking about really highly complex cosmological models. They had some kind of forbidden intelligence. There was sorcery, pharmacology, metallurgy, meteorology even. But one of the things that I've always wondered about, whether it's the Tower of Babel, Jacob's Ladder, or Elijah's Whirlwind, now you have CERN doing something nefarious, unleashing the spirits of the ages maybe. Could these be a picture, though, Dr. Lake, of technologies where they could go in and out of other dimensions or heavenly realms? Yeah, or into hyperspace. One of the things yeah. I do in my new book in the, I think it's the second chapter, the first chapter or second chapter, I try to unify super string theory with the Bible. I show that, you know, what we call higher spatial dimensions, anything above three, because uh, they they uh, they tell us that there are 11 uh, dimensions to our reality, 10 are spatial, one is temporal, which I think spans all the dimensions. But the, the higher that you resonate uh, to go into hi- into hyperspace, which is where the second heaven and the third heaven are, 
the closer to the speed of light you resonate, so you experience time differently. Uh, you know, what we consider a day or a thousand years, when you when you begin resonating and you're able to ascend into hyperspace into the third heaven, it's just a, a 24-hour period for you is a thousand years for us. And what's really frightening is if you if you recognize that places like hell, Tartarus, uh, the abyss all reside within dimension zero. And mm. so they're they're actually resonating at a lower rate than we are. Maybe a day with us is a thousand years to them. And so that it actually increases the torment that that's in hell. But they, they were able to and, and we, we, we've always known that blood sacrifice could rip uh, in, in a, a dimensional portal into, into, into hyperspace. But there's also technology I think they're trying to rediscover to, to facilitate that, that very thing. CERN is actually built over a, one of the older temples to Apollo. So, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the, that in the book of Revelation, you read how this portal is opened uh, in, into, into maybe dimension zero. And all these creatures begin flowing out, and their leader is Apollyon. Well, here you set, it, you set a hydrogen collider that could rip the very fabric of time and space, and you set it over one of the temples of Apollo. Uh, these things don't happen by accident. No. Well, look at Washington. Very Masonic structures, a very intentional, archaeological, occult blueprint, if I've ever seen one, isn't it? It is. They, they have, in, in many of the ancient cities, were, were developed, and I, I think the principalities and powers taught them this when uh, uh, Mark, both Mark Flynn and David Flynn uh, documented in their books uh, quite extensively how that uh, both Rome, Greece, Babylon, that they were taught by their gods how to build their cities so that the, the very layout of the cities could tap into second heaven powers to, to, to create their kingdoms and to do what they were doing in the earth. And so well, Washington, D.C. was the same way. Uh, what's also really interesting is, you know, uh, Von Braun, who came over, he was the Nazi. Not, under, yeah, Operation Paperclip. That uh, helped found NASA, uh, that he actually worked with Walt Disney on how to build future cities that are laid out in such a way to not only tap into the second heaven, but to be able to control those angels. Well, you mentioned Walt Disney there. He was a 33rd degree Mason of the Scottish Rite, and his whole life he spun threads from the mystery schools into the children's minds, really getting them used to the occult for days to come. When you look at the music for Fantasia, he used the Rite of Spring. I mean, this piece of music was a pagan ritual. They had elaborate tunnel systems, and even CIA top informatives said they had things constructed under Disneyland, and it was alleged it was built for programming trauma-based total mind control slaves, but you see the real occult images woven throughout, whether it's Maleficent or the Sorcerer's Stone. There's always been a very heavy theme of occult woven throughout his movies and cartoons. Now, you mentioned your string theory. You know, years ago when you listened to Brian Greene and quantum physics, you can really see there's harmonic resonance that is really interesting. What do they say? The Earth is 7.83. Now, could somehow we be tuned into Lucifer's frequency? Absolutely. One of the, and I, I share this a little bit in my first book, that uh, when you know, I was studying Brian Greene, and I, it really captured my attention when you go down to the smallest element in the universe, which is a quark, that there's a filament that's resonating in it, which you know, immediately goes back to me, well, it's resonating 
uh, because of the voice of God when God said, light be, and, and God used his creative voice to create our universe. And so I began, I said, well, you know, if that's true, then there has to be a, um, a biblical significance to this, especially when it comes to the resonance of the earth. And it was 7.83. Uh, those are all biblical numbers. Seven is, is God's plan of salvation. Uh, three is God's perfect witness. Eight is new beginnings. It's the new birth. It, it, so the gospel is encoded into that. And as I begin to research it out, that resonance can, if, if you could, uh, let's say, take this podcast and you could broadcast it at 7.83 hertz and get it to resonate throughout the entire earth, anyone who was that had their feet on the ground, the, the, the sound of this broadcast would resonate up through their bodies and they would hear it in the center of their brain as if it was the voice of God. And there's a, and, and the brain can receive certain hurts, certain resonance. And so, you know, God's voice resonates at 7.83. And one of the things I postulate is Lucifer tries to mimic God but can't quite do it. And perhaps we get a clue to it in the book of Revelation that it may resonate at 6.66 hertz. And what I was surprised to discover is the brain can also receive that hertz as direct input, just like it can 7.83. Did you ever hear, I don't know if you ever heard this, but they say back in the 30s, Hitler used certain frequencies that he would blast out to the audience. And I guess they would blast out such a high frequency that it would make people physically nauseous. And as soon as he would come on stage and start talking, they would cut that. And suddenly people associated him with euphoria. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's surprising, too, that Nazis created the TV and it was federal law in Germany that yeah. every household had to have a television. Isn't that fascinating? You had all these technologies going on in the 1930 Nazi Germany. You had purported top secret Nazi scientific technological devices like the Nazi bell. You had incredible Nazi miracle weapons declassified documents actually reveal the Nazi bell. And this thing was really, it was like a secret wormhole time machine. Madmen were working on like anti-gravity theories, which were very popular during World War II. They were the same minds that built the V1 and V2 rockets. They had rockets then that could leave the Earth's atmosphere and enter into deep space. And these were some of the same minds that took part in the creation of the first atomic bomb. Hitler himself believed that with the creation of that enormous bell, that World War II could be won. And it was, um, there was a book called The Truth About the Wonder Weapon. And it was basically this Polish government intelligence official shows classified documents, government documents, and among them was this Die Glock, this Nazi bell. And they said it there was very sinister intentions by these Third Reich scientists that were working on this time machine and that they also had information that they could not possibly have attained. And there was quantum physics theories, possible time travel wormholes. So again, very interesting culmination of all these things. And then you flash forward to these strange DARPA projects now. If you look at the last three budgets, Michael, they've got billions in super soldier budgets, the Jasons, the advisory panels. They've published paper after disgusting, bizarre paper on human enhancements. And if you look at some of these documents and you look at the funding 
and all the nations, what they're doing. I mean, it's really, it's not even clandestine anymore, is it really, with these elitist royal families, these blue bloods, these bloodlines, is it? No, it's not. And this is one of the things I also asked Dr. Horn. Uh, they're, they're about ready. You know, I, I'm, I'm ex-military, so I know that when things are classified, they're redacted to the public. So now that they're already beginning to openly discuss them, from my point of view, it's already a done deal. They're already doing it. And they're, they're just help. They're just slowly uh, raising the temperature of the water for the public, if you will, until until we're prepared to to accept that fact. And I, you know, I even think that our our um, absolute distraction that we're having now with, you know, superheroes, everything superhero, it's either Marvel or DC or whatever is a part of the plan, you know, and I, I like action movies as much as the next guy, but at the same time, I think it's a part of the plan to climatize us toward metahumans. Yeah, it really is this real acclimation, the frog in the boiling water, a real desensitization camp. I mean, it's a lot of predictive programming. I mean, when do you, when you get Hail Hydra in the Captain America movies, I mean, that's a little interesting when they're actually talking about Operation Paperclip, isn't it? It is, and we need to realize that from that transhumanist experiment, not only did you get Captain America, but you always end up with a red skull. And uh, they, they seem to overlook that as they're trying to do these things in our generation. In, uh, in the mythology that uh, Marvel put out, uh, that the doctor that helped create Captain America, the first experiments weren't quite uh, what they should have been. So you have this Nazi guy that it actually uh, transformed him. His, his his skin basically came off his skull, and there was he, he had a red, almost looked like skull type of face, and he and he was the uh, antitype of Captain America. He was it was he was in a sense like his transhumanist brother. He had the same powers, uh, had the had the same skill, the same durability, so that so that you have two equal forces fighting each other. Like his transhumanist arch nemesis. Absolutely. And uh, see, one of the things that, that has been my concern, and in, in, uh, <clears throat> two things, you know, I enjoy technology. What you and I do, we're surrounded by technology all the time. But one of the things I'm worrying about is, is since the watchers have reappeared around 1900, technology has exploded. You know, can you imagine uh, my grandmother when she was alive? She lived to be 90. She went from horse and buggy to seeing us land men on the moon in her lifetime. Right. That that is a uh, historical anomaly in technology and technological development on planet Earth. It, it it's unfathomable. And now we're having technology double every every couple of years. Uh, we need to I, I really think that technology came from the watchers. And so when when they when they began to reemerge, you know, I don't know if you've done the research, but there was a Roswell in Germany prior to World War II, and the Nazis were able to get a hold of that craft. That's correct. And uh, so that was kind of some of the the advantage that they had, and I, I think it was their gifting from the Watchers saying, "Oops, I'm sorry, we crashed a ship, and here's all this technology <laughs> that you can use. Oh, oh, oh we're here, you know." <laughs> Same thing with America after World War II, since we won, um, but. You know, you and I have, uh, let, let's put it on the good side. You and I have both said and listened to anointed men of God on television preach the word, or we've listened to it on a podcast, preach the word, and the anointing of God flows through that technology and is released on our end. Absolutely. Okay. So there is a spiritual component that technology can be used as a transportation device for spiritual power. 
Well, yeah, that makes sense because really as far back as the beginning of time with every major culture of the ancient world, I mean, it's astonishingly consistent, isn't it? When you look at the gods that descend, whether you look at Egypt, Persia, Assyria, Babylon, all these earliest records of civilization tell these eras about powerful beings known to the Hebrews, of course, as the Watchers, as you said, and in the book of Genesis as the B'nai Halohim, mingled with humans. They give birth to these part celestial, part terrestrial hybrids. I mean, that really is astonishingly consistent, almost nauseatingly so, isn't it? It is, you know, and what's really interesting to uh, Timothy Alberino did a real good documentary. And one of the things he revealed in it, it was, I, th I think it was called uh, uh, The Secret Origins of America or something like that. The name alludes me to that. He did a four part series. But after the flood, the same Nehesh, this flaming, flying serpent that appeared to Adam and Eve in the garden, appears to the Aztecs, to the Mayans, and to the Incans and found their civilization and told them that a flood had destroyed the civilizations that he had founded, so he was there to found their civilizations. And there, there, is, there is technology. L.A. Marzulli's doing a, a awesome job of going down and documenting some of the uh, some of the structures down there in South America that engineers today say we cannot do that with that precision. In fact, there was one that he reviewed that that uh, this this uh, engineer said the only way for this to be done is something was able to solidify this mammoth boulder hundreds of tons and was able to solidify it for a moment to get it to meld into uh, the position it was and then hardened again. Well, these are angles that would make Newton salivate, and they did it with, what, a copper chisel? <laughs> Absolutely. It's, you know, and uh, I think uh, it was David Flynn that called it cy uh, cyclopean architecture. Right. Because it, it was his word for basically Nephilim architecture, uh, that they did not have the technology to even bring those massive stones from the quarry that was, you know, many miles away. And so, and when you look at the Great Pyramid, you look at many of the other things that they were doing, we don't have the technology today to do it. So how could primitive man with, you know, with chisels and with logs to roll stones on and, and a little grease, how in the world were they able to do it? Or were they, were, were they given a, a, a technology that may access higher spatial dimensions? And when you do that, our physics change completely. Well, these are just really old gods being brought up to date under the guise of the ancient god men. But you throw now in the mix technology and the blending. You mentioned earlier animal chimera. When you have demonic power infused with animal chimera, this is a real hybrid zoo of hellish proportions here. And think about this. The flood came because Earth had degenerated into sort of a morphology of terror and corruption. But this whole hybrid zoo that we're talking about when you're, you know, when you're mixing synthetic biology with synthetic DNA, I mean, that's a real setup for the perfect housing for demonic inhabitation, isn't it? It is. And one of the things I have wondered, you know, there, there's evidence before the flood that not only were the watchers teaching, but so were the Nephilim. And, you know, and on the spirit side of things, you know, there's no place where angels have to go to school. <laughs> you know, it's like in the spirit realm, you know, you're, you, you're, you know as you were known. And so all of, all of your knowledge basically comes to you at the moment that, that you're alive. 
And so can you imagine in some DARPA laboratory somewhere, they actually achieved, because one of the reasons we went into Iraq was to get the DNA of Gilgamesh in a ziggurat in Iraq. And so here you're experimenting in a laboratory, and all of a sudden you actually achieve creating a Nephilim. And when it matures to the place to work and speak, it has all the knowledge of what they had before the flood. All we can say is yikes. <laughs> yeah. And see, I, I think that's why it's, it's not just a super soldier, you know, building more durable soldiers. It's if we could ever uh, attain Nephilim status, then all this information that we have been seeking after that was promised by the old gods will be given to us. Uh, I know even Doc, Doc Marquis and all these, they say, listen, there's, there's certain things we, we know that we're never going to achieve godhood until uh, their, their king dispot shows up because he's going to basically give them the final equations to getting their secret sauce. And I, I think it's because they know well, that once you can actually achieve creating a Nephilim, all that knowledge is, is, is almost instinctual to them. Well, any form of this dark occultism, it's always this theme of corrupting the human genome. And it's amazing how even non-biblical secular narratives refer to this, Dr. Lake. You look at pagan Greek literature. Again, you've got Poseidon, not even as a mythical character, but people thought he was a real person who descended from some level of heaven. You know, he took a human daughter. One of the sets of twins apparently was Atlas. Atlas was said to have built this great city, Atlantis. Then you see the Atlantic Ocean was named after, according to Plato. You see this theme of gods and goddesses really interwoven, as you mentioned, in the Titans, the Olympians, which we traditionally refer to as fiction, but they didn't regard it as fiction. Even Hercules could have been one of the Nephilim, as in the days of Jared, you know, we look at Bashan that was known for ill repute and evil. And coincidentally, do you find it weird that Bashan is right smack dab in the middle of the Middle East rumblings here in Syria? It's kind of an epicenter for the great territorial battle, too, isn't it? It is. Now, I'm wondering if they're using the conflict and the bloodshed yes. to open up dimensional portals to release some very old spirits. And, you know, some of it's going to be with what they do, and some of it's going to be the, the judgment of God. But sometimes the judgment of God is you actually end up getting what you were looking for. That really is what we saw in the depiction in Egypt with Pharaoh, isn't it? It is. And, you know, one of the, one of the great things, I, 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 in fact, I'm getting ready to teach through uh, the, the Egypt section, but all of the ten plagues were not only... You know, when you realize that the Pharaoh was who he was and he had the power and wealth he did because of Joseph, you know, God's blessings came in there. So as God judged Egypt, he stripped everything that they had achieved through God's people being there. At the same time, it was a judgment on every one of the gods that they worshiped. There were 80 gods in Egypt that they worshiped. And when you get down to the very last one where the firstborn was taken, there wasn't a single god in Egypt that could stand up to the judgment of God. And that gives me hope. Well, it was like God is bringing an indictment against these gods. And as we see ISIS storming the planet, I know a lot of people have said, well, when's God going to step up and do something? But this is really what we're talking about, isn't it? Because God does see what's going on. He sees the creators, the funders of ISIS. It's not like he's unaware, is he? No, he's not. And one of the things that I've been trying to get people to pray for is that God not only needs to judge ISIS, he needs to judge, he needs to spot judge those that created them, that came up with that idea, 
And, you know, unfortunately, some of this leads back to maybe our own intelligence community here in the United States. And so it, it, it's scary. But what I'm looking at is just the level of, of uh, bloodshed and horror that they're doing releases occult spiritual power and begins opening up portals. That's why so much in the book of Revelation that you're seeing happening, whether it's the opening up of the portal with the, in the, you know, the, with the uh, river Euphrates, where you have, the, the, I think, the final watchers to be unbound are, are released out of the ground there, and they go and they, they slay everybody that they can find that doesn't have the mark of God on them. All of that stuff happens in the Middle East, and what, what's happening now is laying the spiritual ground by offering the sacrifices necessary for that to happen. Well, it really should come as no surprise that the Apostle Paul urges us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I mean, whether we realize it or not, we are engaged in a prolific battle. Our opponent knows our weaknesses, and he's extremely subtle in his approach. And I don't think people quite understand the point of history we are in. I mean, if churches aren't talking about demons now, Michael, and this is child's play to what's coming, the horror that's going to be unleashed. And I think that's the problem is people are so distracted by life that we forget we're in a battle to begin with, don't we? We do. And and so many churches not only want to deal with this, they don't even want to talk about end-time prophecy. It's just amazing to me that We're in a time, Sheila, that we need to know the Word of God more than ever before. We need to know our authority in Christ. We need to understand what biblical holiness is, because when you really look at the armor of God, the Apostle Paul was able to look at the the greatest, most deadly soldier on the planet at that time, and then equate what we have in Christ to that armor. But when you really distill it down, it's that individual was able to walk in biblical holiness and that biblical holiness of only being influenced by the kingdom of God and functioning in the kingdom of God and not functioning in the kingdom of darkness at all allowed him to have armor on that that kept the enemy at bay while he used the word with with the skill of a Roman soldier to dissect the enemy. That's why I think your book is so important because your book really lays out sort of the final showdown with heaven responding with its own A-team. And I think there's an empowerment in that because there is a coming remnant battle here, isn't it? Talk a little bit about your book and why this is so important, especially, I mean, this is the most timely book I think ever. Talk about your new book and really what it means in this sort of epic end time battle. You know, when you, you look at the Shiner Directive, I said, okay, this is this is what hell planned. But God counters, God has an imperative to stand against the directive. And it's called the Shirareth imperative, and Shirareth is Hebrew for remnant. And I, I believe that God in, in the last days, and it's not going to be in the mega churches, it's not going to be, uh, unfortunately, I don't even think it's going to be found probably on, on standard Christian television or, or radio. It's, it's on what... Uh, in fact, I was thinking this morning, it's crazy that we call what we do fringe Christianity when I think we're actually set dead center in balanced Christianity. Amen. No, it's everybody else is so far off into left field that you can't even find home plate anymore, and they're calling us fringe. It's um, the <clears throat> irony, huh? <laughs> it is. I mean, this the audacity of believing the Word of God 
and and calling people to repentance and then calling people to walk in biblical holiness and 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 saying that I'm responsible for what I do and I just can't blame it all on the devil no you got to take responsibility and you're the one called of God that once you get saved then just as when Israel went into the promised land you got to drive them ites out of your life using what God has given you in his word and then you've got to begin creating a place for the promises of God and the power of God to manifest in your life. That's our task for this for this generation, and we're clueless at how to do it. Either we're worried about whether I'm going to be able to buy a Lexus next year or not, or that I, I am judged by my ability to accumulate wealth as whether I'm walking with God or not. We're living in a Laodiceanized church that's that's that is is speeding. Uh, on the highway to hell, and God is calling you back, saying, no, 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 you're supposed to be preparing for my return. You know, that that's what Jesus said. He says, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. We don't understand that. He said, listen, I'm, I'm getting ready to derail the Laodicean church, because when, when, when he did that, he was basically saying, I'm calling you to prepare yourself to be the bride. And in, in, ancient, uh, in the ancient Jewish culture, whenever... Um, if like say my my wife, you know, we're we're in a community, and uh, we decide we like each other, we like to get married. She talks to her dad, I talk to my dad. They kind of talk among each other, and at a point in time, I and my father will go and knock on the door of her house, and her dad will look at her and says, "You you sure you want this bozo coming in? No, no, he's the one I want, Dad." And when they come in, it's it's the the bridegroom's job and his father's job to say, "Listen, this is who he is." This is this is what he is called to do. He's he's called to be the king over the uh, over the manifested kingdom of God in the earth. That he is the savior. He is all these things. And 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 so now as he leaves you, he's going to prepare a place for you. I mean that that's all that's all the 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 concept of this wedding stuff. And so we stop there and say, "Glory to God! Jesus is preparing a place for us. He did all this. He's the glorious king." We forget the other side of the equation. Once the the bridegroom or the the young man and his father explain his task in the earth and what he's called to do, the 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 woman's family says, "Okay, now what does she have to learn? And what does she have to become to match you?" I don't suppose then, Doctor Lake, it really surprises you, given the darkness and the time we're in, that everybody's off fighting about Hebraic roots, the flat earth, the preterb rapture. You know, and then on top of it, you've got these prosperity bozos out there and the, the pukes in the pulpit, as Steve Quell calls them, that are really, they're just serving us up a, a whipped cream covered vomit, really. That really is what we're getting here with reducing God to some sky bound wish granting genie that only bestows cash and cars upon his followers. And even Joel Osteen's new book, The Power of I Am, and he's not talking about who Moses met, this real self-exaltation. But then falling away is kind of a progressive thing you denote, don't you? You do. It, it, it's kind of like twilight at night. It's it's the setting, you know, the setting of the sun that's so gradual you don't know that uh, the sun is setting until you're, until you're caught out in the middle of the field and, and pitch black and, and don't know how to get back. And, and that's where a lot of the church is right now. And the only cure for this is falling on your knees and repenting and crying out to God while you're able to. You know, when when the prophecy hits the fan, it may be too late. I, th- I think that's why God is raising up people. I, I, I think they're, the, the, the remnant are hungry. That, that's one, th- one of the things that has so blessed me because, for you know, for three decades I have dealt with aspirants of ministry 
that I have a hard time getting some of these people to read. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> you know, and, and so after the release of the Shiner Directive, it's, it's like it tapped me directly into the remnant. And these guys have a voracious appetite. They're like teenagers in the kingdom of God that you have to have your own refrigerator for them with their name on it, and they will empty it daily. <laughs> and that that is so refreshing to me. I can't create podcasts fast enough. I can't create videos fast enough. I can't write books fast enough. These guys, uh, you know, when Tom Horn originally released the Shiner Directive, there were three or four other books he was giving you know away with it that are substantial books too that I was hearing from people that finished that entire box of books in one month. Wow. You know, it's like slurp, burp, when's your next book coming out? You know, <laughs> uh, but that's exciting to me because these people, there there has to be an intense learning curve. You're going to have to unlearn the Laodicean church, and you're going to have to begin learning what the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom of God begins being defined in Genesis, not Matthew that the entire New Testament is written upon the foundation of the old and unless you understand Torah you can't you don't have a clue reading the writings of a Torah scholar named the apostle Paul well the old testament is absolutely a foreshadowing of the new testament foreshadows are remarkable narrative mechanics that god includes in the bible to reveal the future Really, for many Christians, there's good merit in deeper revelation of the manifold wisdom of God, and their faith is elevated through deeper understanding that foreshadowing is really important, isn't it? Absolutely. And we're, we're in, because we have been disenfranchised from understanding uh, you know, what was put in the Old Testament, and that's where all the definitions are, by the way. I mean, everything from redemption through the bloodshed of Jesus, all of it is defined in Torah, and then it, it, it serves it. That, that's the beginning of the river, and it will flow all throughout the Word of God, and it's in harmony with itself. You know, completely, the Old Testament is in perfect harmony with the new. Uh, the law of God is in perfect harmony with the grace of God when you actually understand it. And so when we go back, God was good enough that he said, listen, this is the kingdom of darkness. This is sin. This will forever be sin. This will forever be this. This is what the kingdom of darkness looks like. And this is what my kingdom looks like. And here's my attitude about stuff. And so so when we understand that and it's uniform through from the very first time it's introduced in the Word of God all the way through the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, it is it is absolute perfectly in harmony with itself. And I go back and begin defining the definitions. I can go back and say, ah, this is of the devil. This is unclean. This is unrighteousness. This is, this is what the, the Shiner Directive is about bringing into my life. I have the authority to reject that, and I have, and I have the right to say, I'm going to live by the kingdom of God. It, the same apostle Paul that talked about the armor of God, he said, you got to put off the old man before you can put on Christ. And I think the armor of God will only fit on where you have taken off the old man and you've put on Christ. That's why most believers today are standing in the battlefield in their BVDs if they're lucky. You know, and I document this in my first book too, that we have, they have had a plan, they've set in motion uh, since the turn, you know, about halfway through the 19th century and it began taking a hold, that they began doing everything they could to contaminate education, to contaminate our seminaries, uh, to take us away from many of the things that, that created an atmosphere where they had a hard time controlling the church. 
Well, I don't understand, you know, these people that shun the word of God. I mean, there's no other book on the planet that has ever had more pinpoint accuracy. Prophecy is on fire in the world today. People know that something's off, even just, I think, inherently, they know something's not right. Again, uncanny accuracy, hundreds more awaiting for divine appointed fulfillment. It all lines up. Does it surprise you the many people that discredit the power and credibility of God's incredible inherent word? They do, and I think that's part of the um, part of the process the elite have done. We we should we you and I are both frustrated at the absolute biblical illiteracy yes. among the body of Christ today. When at the same time we have access, you know, look look at all uh, Sir Isaac Newton did. You know, now he was he was not only a physicist, you know, discovered gravity and all these things as a scientist. Uh, he was also a theologian. And you look at the massive amount of, of, of books and different things and concepts that his life produced. And the average Christian can buy a Bible program, download more books in 10 minutes than Isaac Newton had access to in his entire life. And yet we said as spiritual morons in the kingdom of God because we won't do the research. We're too busy being at ease in Zion and being amazed or entertained by the enemy. And what's, what's, what's interesting is when you look at the Greek word of entertained or amused, it means to distract while you do something nefarious. And, and that's exactly what they have done. They, they have kept us so wrapped up in the world that we, we've become no good in the kingdom of God because we don't grow. People know more about their favorite sports team than they do about the kingdom of God. And that's in the church. Yes, that is frightening. Because really, I sound like a broken record because I say to people, when you hold your Bible in your hands, you're holding something very unique. It's not only very supernatural, but it's like you have the commentator inside of you helping reveal deep insights. That's amazing. The Bible contains truth that cannot be revealed to the natural man. It's very supernatural. And if people could really understand the absolute necessity, Dr. Lake, to feed the spirit man, because let's face it, Christians in general, they're sadly very biblically anemic. Christians are dying spiritually because they're not feeding their spirit man. And that's what's frustrating because we have at our disposal something that if people fed on this, just devoured it, ingested it, digested it, they'd be in a whole lot different shape, wouldn't they? Absolutely. You, you, you've got to get into the Word of God and begin really learning the Word. At the same time, that Word is going to be empowered and it's going to change your life to the same extent that you are communing with the Creator. Mm, that's good. And you know what's stunning? I mentioned this on my show yesterday. I phoned 10 Christian bookstores just to see what are the popular sellers and I was absolutely stunned when one of the owners of one of the Christian bookstores, one of the biggest ones on my list, said that their top seller was the Quran. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't. The, the, the Islam right now is being raised to ascendancy by the elite because what is the heart cry of Freemasonry? When you, when you get to the, I think it's the 32nd degree, even on their certificate, it says, order out of chaos. Right. And so they they only can establish whatever they want on the on the tail of chaos, and so they have viewed 
Islam as the agent to bring chaos in this planet so that in the aftermath they can establish their new world order. Uh, I, I ran across a quote, I, th- I can't remember if it was from Mackey or from Albert Pike, but he talked about on the Masonic altar, there's three books. There's the Tanakh, there's the Holy Bible, and there's the Quran. And then he goes and he makes the statement, only one of them is true. Well, you, you have to rule out the Tanakh and the Holy Bible because the Holy Bible, two-thirds of it's the, you know, the Tanakh. And so somewhere along the line, over the last century or so, they said, listen, the Quran is something that we can work with to bring the chaos that we want. There's evidence that Mancini and Albert Pike planned World War II and III right after the Civil War. And one of the things that they planned in, in World War III, because World War I and II came off just like they wanted. In World War III, it was supposed to be a, a war of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And by the time that that war was finished, the entire world would be so sick of religion that they would become secular, which opens the door for them to become Luciferian. Yes, and I think we're very much at that precipice. We're really crossing the Rubicon into that very Luciferian system, which your book really, your new book really lays out. Now, what is the timeline, Dr. Lake, for the release of your new book, The Sheareth Imperative? I'm I'm going to try my best to have it done by the end of the year, and before December 31st, I'm going to have it in the hands of Dr. Horn. And so just as soon as they can proofread it, typeset it, and get it to the printers, we'll, we'll have it out. I'm hoping maybe uh, February or March of next year it'll, it'll be available. Well, and it is indeed so timely because when you consider the time we're at and you look at the true called out ones, the ecclesia, the remnant, it's really clear to see that only true spirit-filled, battled-up, armored-up true believers are really going to be able to withstand what's coming in this sort of epic end-time showdown, aren't they? Absolutely. Uh, and, and the good news is where we are right now, if we'll repent and begin seeking the face of God, there is an anointing being released from heaven to allow you to catch up to where you should be. The learning curve right now is so short I'm seeing people grow so dynamically, those that actually get into what the Spirit of God is doing and begin disconnecting from the world and connecting back to the kingdom. I, I have seen them grow in six months uh, and, and, and do what normally would take six or seven years to do. God knows. He said, listen, uh, I've got to build an A team here, but unfortunately, they're all in the D squad <laughs> when you know their coaches have taught them nothing. Uh, you know, they're lucky to find Matthew in the Bible. And so the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, there's a supernatural anointing that is being released in the hearts of the remnant that they're going to start connecting dots and they're going to start cleaning house. I mean, these people are going to get radical because they're going to start looking at their lives and even Christians are going to think the word, I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm not going to do this. No, don't you bring this into my house because I know the origin of it. I will not do this. It's because they're they're cleaning house spiritually uh, and, and trying to get the, the affluence of both Babylon and the Laodicean church out of their lives so that the kingdom of God can fill it and they can begin moving in that authority. You know, when, when you look at uh, people like Lester Summerall and, and some of these great men of God, we should be walking in greater things than they did because we're, we, we followed after them. We can build on where they were and what they taught. Instead, we're, we're, we're pathetic 
as far as where the average Christian is nowhere near the average minister is nowhere near some of these great men of God were when we should actually have been able to stand on their shoulders and even reach higher levels. Well, I would think when there was 59 accounted deaths where Smith Wigglesworth raised people from the dead, and I thought we should have about 150 under our belt. I mean, really, we ought to be walking out like the Book of Acts. I mean, that should be a field manual, casting out devils, healing the sick, and yet you don't see that happening. Do you think we're in the third and final last Reformation, Dr. Lake? I I think we're at the beginnings of it. And I think it's going to be so radical from the normal Christian view because we're so far off that it is, it's going to seem absolutely radical. But, you know, it needs to be. We we have got to – one of the things that my heart's cry has been, and I, I see it prophetically as I pray, is that when we get into the last days, you know, there's there's – and Isaiah talks about how gross darkness covers the earth worse than ever before, but at the same time your light has come. Is, is that because God's getting ready to separate the men from the boys, and, and those, the remnant, are going to be so much like Jesus and walk in such power and authority and, and the kingdom of God, and the world's going to be so filled with this Antichrist spirit that you're going to be able to look both of them and have a clear choice. Because right now, you know, you and I both know right now you can't tell the world from much of the church. They, they're exactly alike. They'll, the only difference is where they go on Sunday morning. And I think that the way you live on a Friday night shows much more about your life with God than how you live on a Sunday morning. Oh, absolutely. If you leave your religion at the door of the church, that's a sad epitaph. I mean, (laughs) Jesus is, you know, it's 24-7, 365. All I'm supposed to do when I go to church is get my vitamins because I have been feeding myself the meat of the Word of God all week, and that pastor either confirms it or he gives me additional supplementation for what I have been studying out and praying out in my own life all week long. Absolutely. Can't agree more. Again, people, get in your Word. Dr. Lake, just a fantastic job that you did with the Shiner Directive. Incredibly insightful theological studies that you're doing. I really encourage people to check that out on your website at kingdomintelligencebriefing.com. We are so looking forward to your new book. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Such a fascinating discussion. And I really do hope that you come back and see us soon. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. One of the things I'd like to share real quick before we end, uh, all the courses that I have taught for Biblical Life, we've now released where anybody can just buy the materials at Biblical Life Resources. And I have actually have three courses, Kingdom Authority 1, 2, and 3, on spiritual warfare. And what I'd like to, to make for your listeners, if you go on to store.biblical-life.com, and you purchase Kingdom Authority 1 and Kingdom Authority 2 together, and simply write, a week in vigilante in the comments when they when they check out, I will give them Kingdom and Authority Warfare 3 for free. Oh, wonderful. That's a wonderful deal for our listeners. So Kingdom Authority 1 and 2, you heard it there, folks. Just type in Weekend Vigilante at checkout and you'll get Kingdom Authority number 3 free. That is wonderful. Well, Michael Lake, it is always such a pleasure. And again, do come back and see us soon. Well, it has been a pleasure to be on your show. I'm looking forward to the next time. God bless. Thank you. God bless you, too. Folks, that was Dr. Michael Lake. His information is linked there on today's bio at weekendvigilante.com. And if you haven't got a copy of his book, Shiner Directive, do get it. Just an amazing book. We have a fantastic rest of the week. 
Tomorrow in the program is Waleed and Theodore Shobat on Thursday, Pastor Mike Hoggard, and then Friday, Chris Putnam. Just a fantastic week, so be sure to be tuned in. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast today. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, and God bless.